Hey guys, it's Bastards of Art talking about education. Hey, I'm Matt with Bastards of Art, and we are talking about education. <laughs> We're talking about learning. The importance of it. The importance of continuing to learn. Yeah. And did you go to did you go to college, John? You I did go to kid? school. Yeah. You're a rich kid. You're a rich college kid. Avoid the war. No. No Ivy League. <laughs> <laughs> no, I went to school for audio recording, actually, which is kind of strange. Sounds good, right? <laughs> I went to school. I went to school out of guilt. <laughs> I went to school because I thought I was supposed to go to school. Yeah. I was always convinced that you know because I was I was an artist or an inspiring artist at the young age of eighteen that I, I had to I had to learn life, not school. I had to like you know live in a gutter and become an alcoholic and which I, I managed to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I did actually go to school. Um, sorry, I went to a two-year school. Down in Florida, St. Petersburg Junior College. As a side note, is the same college um, Jim Morrison went to. Nice. The doors. And then I thought, well, now I got to go to a four-year school, so I went to the University of Illinois. Mm. But I don't. My personal experience with school was I was never connected. I never felt like I was in any of the programs personally. Mm. But that was just my 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 experience with it. I had fun with it, but I feel like I came out after four years of realizing of what I didn't want to do and that I, I spent all this money to learn a few life lessons, learn a little bit of how to run my own business, and I got a really good group of friends and a wife out of it. Well, that's not bad. <laughs> how much did that cost you? Right? <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't want to remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess we're... We, the idea, I think, with education, we were talking about this earlier, the idea with education is, is that you complete it, you know how to do it, and then you just continue to do what you learned uh-huh. without any of the follow-through. And I think what people don't remember is if, or I, I guess what artists don't think about is if you were a lawyer or you're an engineer, you have to actually go back and get continuous education to keep your license up to date. And so uh, some yeah. professions you're forced to go back and make sure that you're you're not still doing, you know, if you learned how to, you know, make something in 1970, in 2016 there's probably material out there that no makes your work faster. And if you're if you're going like, well, back in the 70s, we just took a bunch of steel and some bricks and we built it our, you know, whatever. It was good enough for my granddaddy. Yeah, it ain't going nowhere. It's still there today. <laughs> no, totally. So I think the idea of like being self-disciplined and, and and following through with almost your own continuous education, it doesn't it doesn't stop. You always you have to keep learning. You do. Otherwise you realize that you haven't progressed in X number of years or whatnot. Plus it, it, it keeps you it keeps you fresh because you're not gonna get stuck in a hamster wheel of just trying to do the same old thing over and over and over again. Keeps you fresh, keeps you, keeps you outside your comfort zone, mm. keeps, you, um, keeps you thinking, keeps you vital, keeps you, it just, it's, it's, you can't live without learning. I mean, what's the point? Like if, if, if by the age of 23 you figured out art or you figured out music or you figured out how to write, then, and then what are you going to do with the next 80 years of your life right. if you were going to live to be 103? It, it's, <laughs> it's, as, it's as if you had like five comic books and that's all you ever looked at. And you thought like, this is the only way you draw a hand. 
this is the only way Superman looks. Yeah. And then you realize, like, you get a graphic novel and it's by Alex Ross and you're like, what? Superman can look like this? It like totally shatters your world. I think shattering your world is something more for me like when Bo and Luke Duke got fired and they had the, they had the, the you're not Bo and Luke Duke. <laughs> it, it can be frustrating, oh, yeah. uh, but no, you're absolutely right. Like uh, when, when you are so used to drawing something one way, I think what happens is, is that um, your work becomes stagnant. It becomes static, it becomes the same. And so if you're trying to evoke a new message or you're trying to trying to reach somebody, they kind of flip through your work and they're like, oh, it's the same story. It's mm -hmm. the same, you're using the same brush strokes, you're using the same color palette, you're using the same size canvas even, Right. you know? And uh, I, I think that's part of it too, is you learning and getting more influence is part of how to change your 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 delivery system up so that your message can keep being broadcast yeah and it, it helps bring out a personal aspect of your work too because it's the idea that everything that you take your time looking at like funny cars like lowbrow art things like that that's going to come into your work Whereas if I'm over here looking at fine art and fashion photography, did, that's going to... Did you just stereotype me, John? I did. <laughs> <laughs> you like, forgot Playboy and... <laughs> Reader's Digest. <laughs> Cougar's Peep Show. <laughs> no, but like, we're not all going to look at the same exact things. And we're going we're gonna to come away with different ideas and that's what helps us build our own uniqueness in the long run. Yeah, can you imagine going to a potluck and everyone brought the same exact beef stew? Ugh. They'd be like, oh, you should try my beef stew. It's in a red cup. You know, it's like, the only thing different would be how it'd be served maybe, you know? Right. But everyone bringing their own flavor to the table is what's what's important. And I, and I think that, you know, I guess we'll start talking about that. Like, the resources, once you're done with college, or once you're, even if you don't go to college, once, once you start your career as an artist, let me back up. Mm. Once you start your career as an artist, something launched you and you started getting a little bit of momentum. Now, it's keeping that momentum where you wake up and you still feel fresh and, and, um, and you're motivated to work and you feel like you've got something new to like tackle. Like, oh geez, now I gotta learn how to, how to draw hands. Now I gotta learn how to do background. Now I gotta learn how to composition my subject matter better. Uh, recognizing your weaknesses and developing that. So what, what, uh, well, let me ask this, John, what resources do you like to, what, what, what's your, what's your go-to resources that you like to, like, to, like you, you, you find yourself, is it the art museum? Is it just collecting books? Is it just Googling the shit out of everything? Um, I definitely started off with books. Um, I was very lucky that my mom and dad had a huge library of art books. They, bo they both went to art school. Um, my mom got a four-year degree, my dad got a, a two-year degree. They, went to, they both went to art school? Uh-huh. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, they, they never ended up doing anything other than just on a personal level with it, but mm -hmm. I, I had this huge resource of stuff to look at. 
And so I, I spent a lot of my childhood just pouring through that. And then on top of that, um, going to museums was another big thing. But I, I'm in this weird, you are too, to a certain extent, to where we've come up to with the internet. Like that was a thing that has come into fruition within our lifetimes and it's kind of changed the game as far as resources mm -hmm. for us. Because a big thing for me now that you turned me on to are a lot of YouTube video resources and using that as a different avenue of getting to see somebody do something and because I'm a big visual learner as like if I can see you do something and then yeah. I get to apply it and that helps me and th that's like the next step of like from books because books were like a really great resource but you books get, were cool but you 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 never got to see the background of how something was created right you get like photo one photo two photo three photo four and that middle in between each photo and you're like what happened do you remember the 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 artist phillips who did a lot of the like the skateboards like he did the the screaming hand sk the skateboard oh, yeah, yeah. and and um he did, he did some of the neatest imagery. I mean, I think that attracted me to skateboarding back in the 80s and 90s just as much as just being, you know, the activity of it. But Jeff, or was it Jeff Phillips? I know his name was Phillips. Anyway, the artist who, who drew those, you would stare at them and I would try to redraw the finished product. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until like years later that there was a, like a book put out that was basically a lifetime of his work that had his sketches building up to some of the most famous posters and skateboard decks he did. Once I saw the breakdown of it, it was just like game on. And, oh, yeah. and I was like, oh, that's how he made it he accessible. Yeah, I was like, how did he get so far with, you know, I'm, you're, you're trying to like draw the finished product and you're not seeing the buildup of it. And I think that's what, and what's beautiful about what we get to do is we get to do the, um, the YouTube mm -hmm. and we get to, the YouTube. <laughs> we can watch people develop their paintings and see how it goes from scratchy to like polished. Bob Ross just showed up on Netflix and- um, Back from the dead. <laughs> No, but I got really excited and because I remember as a kid um, going over to my grandmother's and getting to watch his videos and just staring at it in awe. Mm -hmm. And it was this, this, I don't know, he was on like this pedestal for me of like, oh my goodness, this guy's so amazing. Like, how is he doing all this? And he was doing it in front of me, but now I get to go back to it and look at it from fresh eyes, from a different perspective of where I am in my career and my development. And I get to see like, oh, that's what he's doing there. And that's how he accomplishes like that particular look. Well, it was, as a, as a kid, you're looking for things to draw. Like you're, that's how you spend your energy. And you know, if you, I, I keep thinking about this one landscape painting in my grandmother's house. And it was like, how did that, how, it's so simple. Right. How does this happen? And so Bob Ross was the first window to the how-to, the, the background and the development, which is kind of like what I was just talking about with the book. And to kind of jump on that, I think what, what we're privy to is YouTube videos, oh, which yeah. I don't, you know, I think is something we didn't really have in, the, in our, well, that, it was definitely something we didn't have. 
Yeah, we're, we're, we're unique in the fact that we, we've come up with the internet becoming this new resource for us. Like we, we get the ability now to have this smaller, more connected world where we have things like YouTube and DeviantArt where we get to see people physically doing something. Because for me anyway, the, the biggest thing is getting to see somebody make something or how they do it then I get to take that and do it myself. You know, the, the visual process of getting to see how something's created from start to finish without any breaks. So yeah, you could almost, you could almost say Bob Ross was ahead of his time because he was like the first YouTube videos. The only thing you couldn't do was type in a comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can, yeah. You suck, Bob Ross. <laughs> it was pretty much... Cut wonder, your hair, you hippie. And that's the thing. I wonder what the comments on a Bob Ross painting would have been back in the 80s, oh, you geez. know? <laughs> <laughs> but so, for me, you know, the importance of YouTube is a, is a resource. And not that it didn't come with negative connotations even for my generation. That, you know, in the beginning, the internet was kind of like a, like, a, like a joke. Like, like when it came to learning or... You know, like. You did, if you got a master's degree or a doctrine on, on the internet, it was kind of like a joke doctrine. Like if you get, I, we all have a friend that has married somebody and they got their, <laughs> their, their, their I'm, I'm a reverend according to the internet. So it kind of. It took, felt cheap or not valid in some way. It, there was, yeah, the, the validity of it. So getting information off the internet as far as like art was concerned, it's, it was like, it was dangerous. It was like, well. They, you know, they're not backed by anyone. Anyone can put it up there. And, and then it was all, then you had to go, well, anyone can put it up there. And so for me, in the beginning, when I was trying to really unlock digital painting, and I had, my problem was I knew how to work. I knew how to draw, but the workflow was different because it was all digital. And so I would, I devoured it over like an eight month period. I devoured almost every YouTube video and every YouTube channel I could find. Um, of what they were and how they were using programs like Adobe Illustrator and Sketchbook Pro. And after a while, you're just watching the same ones over and over again. And it took me, it took me too long to actually start paying for um, quote unquote internet classes. Mm. And it wasn't even so much internet classes as I look back on it. It was, there was a guy named Will Terry, he, he is and was, or. Um, and he has a YouTube channel. That's how I found him was through YouTube. But he had a web page that offered, I think it's portfolio.com might have been the web page. But for 30 bucks, you could have access to, I think it was like five or seven videos where from start to finish, you got to watch him illustrate um, an image for, for an upcoming children's book. And it was a whole scene. And that was like, Oh, why did I not pay thirty? But why did I? Why did I not do this sooner? What is thirty dollars? Well, because you're getting to watch somebody do something, but they're also talking over it as well. Yes, and, and they're and, and you're not only watching them; they want you to watch them. They they want to point out like, here's how I screwed up. If you do it this way, it's a lot faster. Right. And, it, and because we're talking digital, here's the hotkeys I use. Here's the and, and what's weird about digital painting is there's so many ways to accomplish one task. And there's no right or wrong. So all you're really doing is just going, oh, that's how he does it. And, and so getting the workflow aspect yeah. uh, down. And then, so I think he really taught me workflow. And then we, we both found Bobby Chu. Yeah. 
And that was, you know, Bobby's got, his channel is just loaded with cool videos from interviews from other artists, which is like such a great like resource to hear guys who were doing art um, on a production level in the 70s all the way up to current people who've never really had a portfolio that wasn't digital. Yeah. Yeah, and just the the freedom of information that he puts out there too. And from like tips and tricks, like short little snippets of building your portfolio, getting traffic on the internet, um, and to his like hour-long drawing sessions where he kind of talks over what he does or he fields questions. Because he usually does it in a live stream, but I always pick it up after. I ne I've never been awake for one of his live streams. Yeah. Um, but he also did such a unique thing that he started uh, schoolism.com where he brought in artists who are working. Um, so now you have your validity. And here's you can take a lighting course from a guy who works for Pixar. Yeah. And you can't, you can't fake lighting when you're doing something like a Pixar movie. I mean, it's the biggest element of, of animating. Well, you... Uh Arguably, too, you can't learn from somebody who's working at Pixar right now in the Midwest. No, I mean, how are you supposed to meet someone from Pixar? Right. So here, Bobby uh, basically gives gives someone a platform to say, "Here's how I do lighting." And mm -hmm. so you you it's a subscription. You pay 120 bucks or 150 bucks a year, and you're able to audit this guy's class. Yeah. And it's I mean, how cheap is that? And there's like I think right now when he started, there was like six artists. I think. Now he's got up to like 12 to 18 different mm -hmm. classes with different artists. And now you're now for me using Bobby Chu isn't so much like how do you do workflow, but it's getting back to the basics and having someone explain the, to the adult version of me how lighting works rather than, I don't know, when I was in the classroom explaining lighting to me, it was like, right, right, right. Bounce the light, direct light, shadow. Yeah, I got it. Let me, let me draw skulls now. But like this way, like you get somebody who is a professional, like at this moment, and how they're applying it to their work on a regular basis, and like the importance of why understanding each individual aspect is like makes such a big difference in your work. And I don't know. Well, if we're in since we're talking about resources and what's out there for you, I think trying to talk to peers that are my peers that are still stuck thinking books are the only answer mm -hmm. um you you have you don't cut yourself short there the internet is a great resource for not only for images but just to get a little background and, and have a have a one-sided discussion yeah on how this person accomplished it it's definitely it's the same thing that you can't treat it as the only resource because it's easy to get mm -hmm. stuck into that but it's such a huge um, fruitful resource that it, it's kind of foolish not to take. And you can, what, I think what's really cool too is you, I think there's some Bern Hogarth lectures that mm -hmm. are up there from when he taught in New York uh, in the 80s and 70s. Um, so even if, even if like maybe the newer digital stuff isn't your cup of tea, there's still old lectures um, up on there that you can find. Yeah. But I mean, the cool thing too is it, it, it's not just digital art because he, even what you're learning applies no matter what. It applies to everything. And, and, and I must say that even Bobby Chu, even though a lot of the guys on there are digital, there's landscape guys that are traditional medium. Oh yeah. Um, watercolors, the classes that, I, that I've taken. Um, now, 
I know you've told me before that you you've done like sketchbook studies and stuff with, mm -hmm. with groups, and I know that's another resource. Is like, you know, we should say that I guess that's the ultimate resource is is getting outside, getting out of your books, getting out of your internet, and actually just getting outside. And I and I think that's one resource that gets forgotten. Yeah, uh, I was listening to this interview um, with Ian McKeg. And it was like this switch for me because he was talking about he had this great resource library and each time he had to draw something, he would flip through and he'd find the right hand and he'd sit down and draw it and then flip through and find something else and sit down and draw it. And then one day he was trying to figure out how he was going to draw grass and he was trying to find the right picture mm -hmm. in all these books and he looked up out the window and saw this huge yard of grass and he was like, oh my goodness put everything away and went outside and started drawing grass. It's like from that point on, I didn't look at a book. And it, I was, it's that realization of like, don't get so caught up in your reference, like go outside and look at things and analyze them from the ground up. Watch wind move, watch light, watch people, watch, watch, take notes, be an observer. Um, I, I think that one thing you get out of a resource, like you, like you just said, use multiple resources. So maybe mm -hmm. use your book to watch and, and see how someone has executed, I don't know, let's say something simple like a maple tree. Mm -hmm. so they've painted this maple tree and they've maybe figured out that they grouped a lot of these leaves together, but a few leaves they've actually brought to the foreground. And, and, and maybe you could copy that and you can make your maple tree look like that guy's maple tree but go to a japanese garden sit down with a sketchbook and draw a real maple tree and you'll start to see why um that guy did or girl did the movements they did in their painting um when, once you actually have a real maple tree in front of you it's it's <laughs> i know it sounds so silly but it's amazing what you can get about being outside and being immersed in and little things like even going on a hike like you can look at a bob ross painting um, and it's cool what it evokes, the message that it brings out. And then when you go out to try to do a landscape painting, it's almost like there's too much to take in. I don't know what to look at. Right. And then so like for me, like when I go on my hikes or I go on my camping trips, for me and my wife like to go out on a lot of uh, camping trips, it's hard to draw something that doesn't have a subject matter. So for me, I had to like mm. zoom in on like the base of a tree and, and how the foliage fell against the tree and pile all the pine needles piled up and then the texture and then I started noticing little things like the small vines that would that would that were that were like the parasites on the base of the tree and little bugs and little colonies and you know um, stuff that you just can't get that were ignored by the artists in your reference book. Right. But now you're like, you know what? I I kind of like the, the the macro aspect of this tree, you know? Right. Where you you found your little. 200 by 300 pixel image on Google and you're like, oh, this is my reference. Yeah. And you don't realize like if you went outside, you could see all the extra stuff that <laughs> the resolution so Oh yeah, you want more resolution? <laughs> Get up, walk outside, <laughs> yeah. you know? And you know, and then hell, you can, I know Mo that works here, she is constantly like bitching that her phone is full because she is constantly taking photos. Of everything. Yeah, which, you know, is easy, and that's an easy way to, um, I guess, devour reference, because then you're not, like, panning around a 360 view. You've taken a picture of that tree, and now you can go home 
mm-hmm. and really just sit and concentrate on what you like about it. You've already taken the process of picking out the part that you want to remember or go back to. Cropped the image how you, how, of what's important to you. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so you do all this and you're in your little thing and you're in your, and what do you show your mom? And, and she says, <laughs> what is she going to say, John? It's so good. What? The girls are gonna love that down at the bingo hall. I'm gonna bring that with me tonight. You know, I you, I guess the, the feedback is what is what I is what I'm gonna talk about, and and that feedback's important, but get it from the right people so that you can yeah. get get what good, bad, or indifferent. You can get the information of what you're trying to express. You you gotta you gotta get beyond somebody who like gave birth to you, like that that has no like. They have no emotional connection to you because that way they're going to be honest with you, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it's that like straight talk feedback that really makes you look at your work in a different light. It really makes you think differently about it because you're going to have somebody that comes to you and is like, "Why? Why did you do this this way?" Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have to defend that decision or the fact that you realize like, oh, I didn't make a decision. I just forgot that part or I did it accidentally. Yeah, or I stole it. Right. And I don't know why I stole it. It just looked cool when that guy did it. And then you get caught like you get caught with your pants down. Yeah. And I, I get so what are forms of getting yourself out there? Well, there are some simple ones like deviant art. You can put put it out there and you can. You can be be a part of these these online communities, but I don't I don't get too much out of that. Like I get I might be part of an older generation, or like I, I just don't know how to access deviant art as much. I know people get a lot out of it, but it's, being a part of art shows, I think, is a big one. The, um, the internet's hard because like unless you already have an audience, like it, it's it's hard to get feedback. Oh, and then when you actually have an audience, you, a lot of times you're getting mom high fives. Yeah, like. Uh, with the, the schoolism thing, they've got their own like Facebook group, and that's really good because nine times out of 10, it's all strangers, but they're actively being a part of giving each other feedback that, and the fact that they're strangers that you get that. So if you're gonna post online, make sure you're posting somewhere where you're gonna get real, real comments. Yeah. Um, so we have, you know, you can get uh, submit to art shows. Mm-hmm. You can um, submit to annuals. You can submit to magazines, um, and you try to just put. You know, one thing about putting yourself in a magazine is, is like I was recently in a magazine, and even though it's neat to be in it, the next page is someone that is just like, like shoots you out of the water. I was definitely <laughs> the opening act. You know, I'm really glad I wasn't behind them because they would have been like, "Oh, this guy's stuff is good." And who's Matt Hodell? Let's flip back. You know. <laughs> So that could be uh, that could be like a moment where you're you know I, I was kind of joking before about um, your appearance and being self conscious oh, yeah. you know like you you I think the joke about like you don't notice the mustard stain until you walk into, into the courtroom you know like oh you know you're trying to get a loan and you're like oh my my hair is all messy and this banker knows I'm you know but so. You get self-conscious about your work when you put it next to others. I think also, you know, being a part of an art show, you can actually see if your message is is coming across. That the idea that a joke's only funny if the other person laughs. Mm-hmm. If your message isn't getting conveyed, then you have messed up 
how how you've delivered it somehow. You have there's something broke in the delivery system. Yeah, your your mom's not going to give you an accurate response on how that piece makes her feel. Yeah, that's you know? yeah. It's, it's coming from you, and that's the only thing that's important. To her. It looks so evil, John. That's St. Michael, Mom. You couldn't put a bra on her? <laughs> yeah. What? So many nipples, John. Did I breastfeed you too long? <laughs> Your mom has a list, by the way. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. Fournier. It's okay. I love you, Mom. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is true. I, I think one of the things about the anxiety I have about going to an opening night of an art show um, is it... I gotta tell you, it does bum me out when people coagulate when they when they when they when they're looking at one guy's work and yours is being walked by. Mm -hmm. And I know you you kind of told me in the past about an art show where you were wondering why yours didn't get put up front. Yeah, it was in this huge college gymnasium, and all the art was hung around the walk around that was at top at the top of the bleachers. And I was standing on the opposite side, my piece was hanging on the other side, and I got to see it from 200 feet away. And I was standing next to my professor, just kind of wondering, like, what, why didn't I get an award, or why isn't my piece getting uh, selected? And I got, to, he, he was like, look at it, like, there's no contrast for the piece. Like, up close, it's really cool, but like, over here, you can't really make anything out. And it was that realization, that was like the first time getting constructive feedback like made an impact on me because I got to see it from a different angle. Like it was very monotone, like the importance of having black blacks and white whites and everything in between was lost because it was just this medium sheen of gray. Yeah, and can you imagine if, if you would have spent 10 more years in your studio doing that and then you'd have been like, Oh, why didn't someone tell me sooner? Well, if you right. want someone to tell you sooner, get out. Yeah. Get out there. Be Become transparent. You're going to develop so much faster by getting feedback on a regular basis than waiting every couple of years. I, I'm not going to show anyone until I know I've mastered this. Right. I mean, get, get over yourself. I mean, e even fine artists have other fine artists come over to their studios to get to look at their stuff. And it's those little conversations and those like personal jabs that we get from each other that shake us out of our routine and make us look at it differently. You know, like sitting down and drawing something on somebody and then having you walk over and be like, why are you doing it that way? Just erase yeah. it. Or, you know, <laughs> even even the intimate workspace we work in, you know, if, I'm, if I work, walk over and I'm like, what? I would do it this way. Then it's like, I just, I'm not, I'm probably not going to tell you that if I know it has to be done and it's already successful. I might like, you know. But you can, you can see when somebody is like, your shoulders are rolled They're over. biting their tongue. Yeah. <laughs> you're, that you're, looks stupid. <laughs> no, but seriously. Yeah, but you, you can tell when somebody is like too, uh, they've got their blinders on too much and they're so focused like uh, Dan would routinely walk up to me and be like, "Hey, go take a break. Like yeah. you've been working for three hours on this drawing. Like you're you're overthinking everything about what you're doing at this moment. Walk away from it." Yeah. And it, it, it's having someone jolt you out of your little bubble. Make you stand more to the left mm -hmm. or more to the right, so you can you can see what you're doing differently. So there's another resource. Just work around other people. Yeah. You know. 
Um, the, the, I guess the overall idea is this. There is no learn how to use a pencil, continue using pencil. You know, learning is a ongoing process. It's never going to go away. I think once you accept that it's an ongoing process, then the idea is discovery. You have to keep putting yourself in uncomfortable situations that intimidate you. Um, so that you can kind of break it down and figure it out, kind of like what you what you do with the Bob Ross paintings, you mm -hmm. know. It it also helps you keep from getting burnt out, because you you're constantly looking for the next thing, and like you're you're building into this. I mean, we're we're in this culture where like we have a three second attention span, right? What? So, <laughs> it, I'm sorry, I was texting, I was tweeting somebody. If you're constantly like looking for new information to devour and learn, that you're not going to allow yourself to get stuck in a, a situation where you're frustrated or you don't feel like you're going anywhere. You're not going to get in that rut. Yeah, stay out of the ruts. Mm -hmm. I'm Matt. I'm Jonathan. This is Bastards of Art. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. We're going to try to release these. Well, we are going to release these every Friday. Um, or. Actually, we'll record on Friday. We'll be releasing these on Monday. Uh, find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. Our website is bastardsart.com. Thanks, guys. Thank you.